And thank you. Please be seated. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, I'm going to go to the end of Hebrews chapter 10 to begin a series of sermons with you on the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, using the chapter 11 as a uh, survey of the uh, Old Testament of how the saints of old, in their own way, faced the same challenges and troubles and temptations and won the victory in Jesus. So we likewise uh, follow in their footsteps. This great crowd of witnesses now calls us onward. But I'd like to set the stage for you reading together in God's Word, starting in chapter 10, verse 32, where we read, But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you had a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, even as they had to live and walk by faith, so likewise we desire to have great endurance, doing the will of God, receiving the promise, scorning reproaches and tribulations, becoming companions with those who are likewise treated. We likewise, our Father, would learn from those who have gone before, who learned to walk with you, to walk with an unseen God, and yet an ever-present help. So we pray that you would bless the, the life of faith to every believer in Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, faith, we might say, faith is the motivating factor of everything that we choose to do. Taking it in this sense, we we get a drink of water because we believe it will quench our thirst. We get in a car because we believe that, if it starts, it will get us to where we need to go. Even our emotions are beholden to faith in this sense. We feel fear because we're anxious that something bad may happen. We feel encouragement because we believe that something good is happening. Everything we say or feel or do comes from something that we believe. And this is what makes faith in Jesus Christ to be such a revolution in our lives. Why this faith in Christ transforms everything. Our loves, our hatreds, our attitudes, our deepest convictions, our lives, root and branch. Because the one in whom we are believing is none other than God made man. We are embracing, when we put our faith in Jesus, the most stupendous things in the world, the greatest things that have ever occupied the mind 
or stirred the heart of any human being. And so this is why faith is so transformative, if it is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith has been called the hand by which we laid hold of Jesus or by which we walk hand in hand with him through this world. Faith, as I've told you before, amounts to uniting our hearts and our lives with his, our purpose with his, our loves with his, our hopes and dreams with his. And if we have such faith in Christ, our entire lives are thereby redefined, redirected, and even recreated. Uh, Martin Luther was uh, a man that had great respect for faith. Can I say it lightly? Uh, uh, can I say it uh, uh, in summary that, that, that uh, he taught that it was faith alone by which the believer truly lives. And he took a lot of heat on that position. Many questioned how faith could then uh, save us and be at work in us. And so in his introduction to the book of Romans, in his translation of the Bible, he writes that faith is God's work in us that changes us and gives us new birth from God. It kills the old Adam and makes us completely different people. It changes our hearts, our spirits, our thoughts, and all our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, it is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith can't help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it's already done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever. He stumbles around and looks for faith in good works, even though he does not know what faith or good works are. Thus, just as faith is impossible to separate from works, so it is impossible to separate heat and light from fire, end quote. Well, we sometimes speak of faith as if it were an easy thing, as if the good news of the gospel is that we only have to believe and not work our way to heaven by keeping the commandments. Some people have even taught that Christ's gift to us is to make entrance to heaven so much easier by making it only a matter of faith. Well, that is no help. The truth is faith is the most difficult thing in the world. Keeping God's commandments isn't hard if you have enough faith. The works naturally follow, as Luther points out. The hard part of Christianity is to offer to Christ every day a genuine, strong, steady faith. Faith is not an easy thing. It is not a simple thing. It is the most difficult and demanding thing that there is to live in the absolute confidence of the presence, the word, the promise of an unseen God. But doing this is what makes all the difference in all of our life. And this is why faith is the great remedy against all discouragement of soul. That's why it's written, the righteous must live by faith. I say this to you, uh, gathering some thoughts that I have previously given to you to introduce to you this letter, which is all about living by faith or if I could say it more particularly, pressing on in faith in spite of present discouragements and difficulties. I'd like to begin a study with you of one of the great chapters, not only of this letter, but of the Bible itself, Hebrews chapter 11. This uh, letter is called in our Bible, To the Hebrews, and although that uh, title, it seems, is not original, it is a very good title for the contents of the book. 
It is written to first century Hebrew Christians, these believers that had uh, generations before them, a long, long, glorious history as the chosen people of God. Sometimes inglorious, I grant you. But looking back on the faithful patriarchs and those whom God loved and chose to bring forth their holy nation, those people were brought out of slavery in Egypt by the mighty power of God, given the law at Sinai. Their fathers worshipped at the tabernacle and built the temple. They had priests, services, their ceremonies, the covenants. It meant so much to them. It means today so much to them. Their great-grandfathers were martyrs for the faith under the Greeks. Uh, They died by the hundreds under Antiochus rather than to forsake the true worship of God. And when the Messiah came, especially then on the day of Pentecost, many Jews believed the good news of Messiah Jesus. These Jewish Christians They still went about their ways. They still gathered at the temple at the hour of prayer if they were in Jerusalem. They still went up to the city for the feasts three times a year. If not, they yearned for the rest of their brethren, according to the flesh, to believe in the Messiah. But the years passed. A majority of Israel remained unbelieving. In fact, the Jewish leaders grew more and more hostile to the whole movement, And then in city after city, the apostles and early missionaries were put out of the synagogues, beaten with the 39 lashes, cast out of the city sometimes, having to shake off the dust of their feet. Persecutions grew against them. And over time, the pressures mounted, their faith and their zeal began to wear down, and many of them began to get discouraged. I basically have two points to you, uh, for you this evening, to uh, set the context of this letter and the chapter that we're going to study. My first point is simply that this letter is addressed to weary and discouraged Christians. It is addressed to weary and discouraged Christians. This won't be the great emphasis of of my series, but uh, we do need to face uh, the, the reason for this being written to them. This community was under a great deal of pressure. He, he writes how at the beginning they had endured a, a, great, uh, a great struggle with sufferings. They were made a spectacle. They became companions of those who were ill-treated. Um, the author mentions himself being in chains. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods, knowing that they had a reward in heaven. Well, These uh, more uh, harsh persecutions, it seems, had uh, given way to um, a more subtle but a more effective pressure now to return to the Jewish religion, to return to the old ways. And and they felt this themselves. These people, they, they missed the magnificence of their religion As I'll show you, they they missed the old worship, the priest, the temple, the the ceremonies. These are the things that the author takes up to show how they have been fulfilled in Jesus and why there is no going back. They were tempted to go back. You could sympathize with them. They they used to worship at at this great temple 
with the, with, the, with the priests in their robes and the trumpets and the incense and, and the visibility of it all and the security of it all. And here they were meeting in some shabby little building um, without instruments, reading the scriptures, listening to a man talking. It was quite a change. Uh, this was it. It was not the glory that they had previously enjoyed. Their families, it seems, were putting pressures on them. You can imagine mothers weeping. Have you forgotten what I taught you as a child? They were being treated like heathens and tax collectors, excluded and marginalized from society, and they were tempted to go back. Some had given up meeting together, and others were wavering in the faith. People were showing signs of decline. I'd like to just quote several verses to make clear the context of this letter. 3.13, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. They were feeling callous in soul, disobedient, lacking conviction, lacking sensitivity of conscience, a decline of heart and spirit. 5.12, this Jesus of whom we have much to say, um, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. They were not making proper progress in the faith. They were remaining unchanged by the reading and preaching of the Word of God, finding it difficult to read the Scriptures, perhaps, difficult to make progress in their belief, finding their hearts slow to change, disinterested in the Word of God. That's the sign of someone wavering in faith, forgetting perhaps even what they once knew. 5.13, by this time you ought to be teachers, but now you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Losing a taste for the great and meaty things of God. 6.12, we desire that you not become sluggish, uh, lazy, apathetic, half-hearted, not concerned about others, not eager to help. 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as some. Just too tired to come to church, becoming isolationist, lonely, perhaps finding many reasons to avoid other believers, even having a chip on your shoulder. 12.3, consider him who endured such hostility against sinners, from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Weary and discouraged, uh, fatigued, drained spiritually. Being weary of laboring in the midst of so many discouragements and problems, feeling disillusionment. John Owen comments, we ought to watch against nothing more diligently than the insensible, gradual prevailing of such a frame as this. Watch against becoming weary and discouraged. 13.9 carried away with various and strange doctrines. People were 
losing their taste for the truth of the Word of God, for the gospel perhaps, losing a love for the things that were at the heart of our faith, becoming interested in clever areas of theology, angels, or some new guru with some particular approach. These are the qualities of the people that he's writing to. All this summarized by some devastating words in Hebrews 12, uh, 2, verse 3, neglecting so great a salvation. Some of them were just neglecting so great a salvation. Now, I, I, I say this to you not because I believe that you are in this position. However, it's important to know their context because our faith is always tested. That We have a perpetual danger of losing heart because of the various pressures of this world, the pressures that are very near, and sometimes the promises of God are very far. Perhaps we, from time to time, feel depressed because of the persecutions that Christians endure. Some of us have a tendency towards spiritual discouragement. It seems that our news feed is all bad news, and it's easy for us to focus on what's going wrong in the world, and we become dispirited or even fearful. It's not hard to do. There's a lot to be discouraged about, and that's what sells newspapers. So if that's your focus, or if that's your tendency, as it is mine, to conclude that everything's going from bad to worse, well, this is a message for you. <laughs> this, is a, this is a chapter to, uh, to hearten you, to, uh, to strengthen you, to encourage you to press on in the life of faith. Because although, point one, uh, this letter is addressed to weary and discouraged Christians that I've now briefly described to you, uh, point two, this letter is written to encourage us to live by faith. This letter is, in, is written to encourage us to live by faith, to press on in faith. Faith is something that's, well, very important for the Christian, right? Um, we usually consider how important it is for our salvation, that we are saved by faith. Well, that's good. Uh, this letter is not about faith at the beginning of our Christian life, that saves us. This letter is about living by faith, without which he says it's impossible to please God. He's not dealing with being converted through faith or being justified by faith. Paul takes up those critical matters in some of his letters. This This focus is the daily practical significance that faith has for us. As it is essential, not just the beginning of our Christian lives by which we are saved, but then to every choice we must make all the way through our lives as we walk by faith, right? Uh, uh, The just shall live by faith, we read earlier. So Noah was a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He, He certainly was a believer. He was saved by faith. And yet he had 120 years of boat building that didn't answer to the, 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 the facts and the climate around him, right? There was, there was no rain. There was no anticipation for rain. He, he labored and labored in um, probably a, a climate of, of mocking and hostility. Noah became a boat builder. Abraham left home and family and everything familiar verse 8 of chapter 11, not knowing where he was going. He, he left everything behind 
not knowing what was ahead. He, he had to build an altar, verse 17, and offer up his son Isaac. Um, Moses had to give up the lifestyle of the rich and famous. He tr- exchanged the lifestyle of royalty for the lifestyle of poverty and to enjoy reproach with the people of God. Why? Because by faith, he knew that that was better, that the reproaches of Christ were better than all the treasures of Egypt. Faith transformed the daily living of all the people in chapter 11. And this is why he selects them, and this is why he holds them before God's people, that we must have our whole lives shaped and molded by what we believe, which is often something we do not yet see. And this is one of the great modern challenges we have, as more and more we are called to uh, have faith in, in this small part of our life. Leave it at church, or at least leave it at home. But uh, the Bible calls us to do exactly the opposite, to, to live every moment by faith, to walk every step by faith. Acknowledging that faith is not going to make your lives easier, typically. It's hard to live in reference to things unseen, right? By faith, verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He looked to the reward. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. There was a great victory after they were encircled for seven days. There must be a a persevering and enduring in faith day after day where we remain convinced that what is unseen is far more worthwhile than the loss and trouble and temporary difficulty that we're enduring because of it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And this kind of faith, this living, sacrificing, preserving faith day by day is what has, we read in this chapter, such tremendous practical effect in the world. Some, verse 33, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Great, great things on this planet resulted from faith. Others suffered awfully, he goes on to say, knowing that the resurrection that they experienced would be all the more blessed for their loss. And so it is that uh, faith has this great practical power, whether we are in this world victorious or whether we must uh, suffer to the end of our days, we nevertheless find that faith is that great animating principle that that motivates us day by day. And isn't it interesting that the Reformation, which above all stressed sola fide, right, salvation by faith alone, apart from works, that that Reformation uh, emphasis of sola fide produced the greatest outburst of good works, the most dramatic change of civilization that there has ever been in history. Because when you and I are all in on faith, we find, as Luther pointed out to us, 
everything changes. You and I are to have such a faith that transforms us and, the author goes on to say, transform the world, a faith that does move mountains even in the here and now, a faith which expects great things from God that attempts great things for God. And we find that the kingdom of God does come through faith. According to your faith, let it be to you, said Jesus. What are you doing by faith? Well, this, this chapter will show us a, a, a photo album, right? Uh, picture after picture of these, these great heroes of the faith, the honor roll of the faithful who went before us, who have something to teach us about this daily living by faith. In conclusion, the people, as I mentioned, were being tempted to go back to the old ways, to, the, to their old priest, to their old worship at the temple. And the author of our letter has a pastoral genius because he says, no, 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 I, I want you to go back to the old ways. I, God wants you to go back to the old ways. But what are the old ways? No, I'm telling you that I want you to have the same faith as Abraham and Moses and the patriarchs. And what kind of faith did they have? Well, willing to leave all, offer up family and friends and possessions because of Christ? Are you tempted to turn back to Moses? Well, you know, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than all the riches and treasures of Egypt. And your faith has a reward. But if you shrink back from Christ, the author wants you to know you're not going back to the old ways. You are abandoning those old ways. All those people in the past and all the ways that they suffered and labored on and walked by faith, all those people could only see at a distance what you have now seen, that has now come to us. Verse 40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The life of preserving faith, all these people tell us, has a great reward. God is faithful, but we must continue to the end. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. This is what the great cloud of witness, witnesses testifies to us. They say, press on, persevere, strengthen those hands that hang down and those feeble knees, make straight paths to your feet, look back, to all those people who went before you, who just like you, suffered such things, often from their own, brother, own brethren. But over that, he concludes, look unto Jesus. Look to the one who himself endured such hostility from sinners. His own family didn't believe in him. Satan was unrelenting. His disciples, slow to understand. He faced evil and injustice and cruelty. And he endured even the cross, despising the shame. And we are followers of Jesus. What should our lives be like? Look unto him. Look at him running the race for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, 
sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, the cross and the crown, that is to be our pattern. And when we find ourselves in such difficulties and struggles, far from shaking our faith, they could, should confirm to us that, that we're in exactly the right place. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And we'll begin chapter 11, verse 1 next week. But let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that the thought of knowing you and of being partakers of such exceedingly great and precious promises is sometimes even too fantastic for us to believe if it had not been for the demonstration of your love and sparing not your own son. We do consider him. We consider how he, for our sakes, ran that same course, despising the shame. We are strengthened indeed in our faith and forgive us of how the doubts of your love have sometimes clouded the keen sight of faith. Increase our ability to believe in you and all that you have given to us in him. May we learn to live in the boldness of the riches that are ours in our Savior. May we live and walk by faith, abiding in Christ. and in.